Good vibrations, take one. You're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys music program, sponsored by Endless Summer Little Richard sang it and Dick Clark brought it to life. Danny and the juniors hit a crew stuck as sharp as the knife. Do you remember all the guys that gave us rock and roll? Chuck Berry's gotta be the greatest thing that came along. He made the guitar beats and wrote the all-time greatest song. Well, now do you remember all the guys that gave us rock and roll? And the chopping didn't get very far Goodness gracious, big balls of fire Nothing's really moving till the saxophone's ready to blow And the beat's not jumping till the drummer says he's ready to go Well now do you remember all the guys that gave us rock and roll Let's hear the high voice wail From 1964, the Beach Boys with Do You Remember? A nostalgic look back at the early days of rock and roll written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love. Interestingly, those early days of rock and roll were less than 10 years old when the Beach Boys recorded that song, proving that the group always had one eye on the past, even as they chugged forward. 50s rock and roll, the formative years of the Beach Boys, the nostalgia craze of the early 1970s, it's all on the menu today as we chat once again with editor of Endless Summer Quarterly magazine, David Beard. David, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So the impetus for today's discussion sprang from your recent interview with Brian Wilson in the latest issue of ESQ. Is that correct? Yeah, the spring 2020 edition. uh, I was just trying to basically do a catch-up interview with Brian Mm -hmm. because the winter 2019 edition was a tribute to Nick Walusko. I wasn't able to get Brian prior to going to print with that edition. Right. So I wanted to talk to him about Nick a little bit. I wanted to talk to him about this recent Brian Wilson scholarship, and, and I talked to uh, David Leaf and Brent Wilson, who's the documentarian for Brian Wilson, Long Promised Road. And this is kind of what I wanted to talk to you today about, was apparently during the Long Promised Road documentary, initially they were just interviewing Brian's band members, different people, peripherally in the Beach Boys world, uh, who'd been around the music a long time. And then, of course, outside of that world, those influenced Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, etc. And they weren't really getting the level of insight from Brian that they were hoping. So they brought in Jason Fine from Rolling Stone magazine to be a part of the documentary. And basically, Brian and Jason go around together in a car from one location to another. And during that time, Brian really kind of opened up because he was really comfortable with Jason. 
And Brian started talking about his brothers a lot, which is kind of how Long Promised Road came up. That's the Brian title, kept talking, sure. Yeah, Brian kept bringing Carl's song up. And so they, they, they have re-recorded that with Blonnie Chaplin, Brian, and then Jim James from the group My Morning Jacket. And I know Jim James was also interviewed, so I guess that's how that fell together. But Brian talked a lot about his brothers, so he was obviously dialing into something from his younger life. Whether it's Carl and that song specifically, right. he may also be thinking of the Surf's Up album. He, For all we know, he may also be thinking of 1971 and living in Bellagio. We don't specifically know. I've not seen any footage from the documentary yet, so I can't, I can't say what exactly. And but let me let me just it, jump in for a second for the audience that might be uh, uh, confused. This documentary, you haven't seen footage yet because this documentary is not out. It is going to be making the rounds, though, at festivals. Right. It's kind of going into this fall that it's going to be kind of making making the rounds. So, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of fans are going, why is it called Long Promised Road? That's a Carl song. But the reason is Brian kept talking about the song like I said, to the point where he wanted to record it again, and they did. So I thought that was kind of interesting and kind of cool that Brian is still just as attached to that song. And it's a great song. So hard to answer futures Riddle when ahead is seeming so far behind So hard to laugh a childlike Give when the tears start to torture my mind so hard to shed the life of before to let my soul automatically so but i hit hard at the battle that's confronting me knock down all the road parts are stumbling me throw off all the shackles that are binding me down so up the wounds of revolution and now starts to So what if life's a revelation if the mind speaks of only today? So real the pain of growing in soul, of climbing up to reality's goal, but I
So the, the thing that I started gravitating towards based on my interview with Brian was the Wilson brothers. And then when I started thinking about the Wilson brothers, I started thinking about the Wilson family. And when I started thinking about the Wilson family, I started thinking about how Edith and Buddy Wilson had eight, eight children. And, and of those eight children, Murray Wilson, who ended up being Brian Dennis and Carl's dad, mm-hmm. and um, Emily Glee Wilson, who ended up being Mike Love's mother. And I ended up just thinking about family. And so in my editor's notes, in this new edition, the, 20, the spring 2020, I just talk about Brian and Mike growing up together as kids and what their life was like and how much they knew each other because by the time they signed their contract, Brian and Mike had been around one another for almost 20 years. And you think about that. They spent the most time together outside of their home. You know, they'd go to church together. They'd sing together. Not right. just at family get-togethers, because I think most Beach Boy fans who know anything about the Wilson and Love family get-togethers always associate it directly with Christmas. But it wasn't that way. It was always, and it was always at the Love household, it was always Mike and Brian, and typically Mike's sister Maureen, because they were the three oldest out of the two families, and they spent a lot of time together. Yeah, I remember a story in uh, Jim Murphy's book, Becoming the Beach Boys. By the way, that, that book comes highly recommended by both of us, I would say. And I think it's a book that really sheds light on those very early years of the group. But in that book, uh, Jim Murphy talks about Brian and Mike, well, having sleepovers. Brian going over to Mike's house and them sneaking out to sit in the family car in the driveway and listen to rock and roll on the radio all night long. Yeah, they loved Everly Brothers. They loved Chuck Berry. I mean, you know, you're thinking mid to late 50s. Elvis was coming on at the time. Bill Haley and the Comets. You know, all the Buddy Holly, um, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. I don't know if how, how much Carl Perkins had crossed over into contemporary radio. Right. Or he was just considered a country artist. But there, were, there was a handful of them that they were listening to, just as the Beatles were listening to overseas. And, and, and Mike and Brian were the most impressionable. They loved doo-wop. They loved rhythm and blues. They loved kind of just about everything that was coming over the radio. And, and I think they both listened to them, as we know today, the way things developed in the group of the Beach Boys. I think Brian and Mike were probably listening to those songs differently in that if you, let's just say, devoted to you, Brian was probably singing it with Mike, but at the same time, working out the vocal parts, well, Mike was probably just singing and thinking, I like the way they use the words here, so I'm going to see if I can't lyrically do something similar. Darling, you can count on me Till the sun dries up the sea Until then I'll always be devoted to you I'll be yours through endless time I'll adore your charm sublime Guess by now you that I'm devoted to 
Mike and Brian, it was it was never that they weren't they weren't let's form a band, let's form a band. They were just happy to be around one another and spend time together because they shared interests. And yeah, Brian would go over to Mike's and stay overnight because a he didn't have to deal with his dad that way. And Mike had, Mike lived in a much bigger home. Yes, and so mm-hmm. it all lent itself to that type of environment. And so whether it be going out and listening to in the driveway in the car or or listening through a transistor radio up in up in Mike's room at night um that is a memory that Brian took with him throughout the Beach Boys success and it played itself out and developed into Mount Vernon and Fairway which are the street intersection of where Mike's house was. And and for the audience that might not know what we're talking about, Mount Vernon and Fairway was an EP, uh, almost like a children's record, that was included with 1973's Holland album by the Beach Boys. I, I cannot imagine what Mike's reaction must have been to the Mount Vernon and Fairway EP. That's so interesting. That would be fascinating to find out what he thought of that. Yeah, because on one hand, He's like, well, this can't go on the album, right? Because this is this is more like a personal memento to me. This right. is a this is this little personal EP memento. So that's the thing when you listen to it from that perspective. You know, he just reached emotionally reached back, and we could we could say I could sit here and come up with fifty different reasons as to why I think maybe he wrote it. But the bottom line was the childhood that they forged together, that they had together, was that valuable to Brian. And and it was also a, a probably in some sense a tribute to his his aunt and uncle, um, and that family uh, in general, and his again great memories of those days. There it was. The music had to have been from the Pied Piper himself. Don't understand, don't understand, don't understand. 
prince's sisters ran in their brother's room, and they were all dancing and screaming with joy. But that transistor was playing too loud, and their mother heard it. What are you doing there? What is that you're listening to? Give me that radio at once, she said. Perfect timing. Folks, we'll be back in just a minute with editor of Endless Summer Quarterly magazine, David Beard, right after this charming retro-mercial. 20 of your favorite original Beach Boys hits are now together in a fabulous two-record set called Endless Summer. Do you love me? Do you Everybody's going surfing, surfing USA. Endless Summer. 20 original hits by the Beach Boys, specially priced in a two-record set with free Endless Summer poster inside. Enjoy Endless Summer with the Beach Boys on Capitol Records and Tapes. This is Brian Wilson, and you're listening to Good Vibrations with David Beard. We're back talking with David Beard, editor of Endless Summer Quarterly magazine, about the prehistory of the Beach Boys. And we just uh, spoke about the uh, Mount Vernon and Fairway EP, and now you wanted to jump ahead to another uh, song that harkened back to uh, an earlier time. Well, fast forward from that was 72, 73. Fast forward five years, and Mike develops this song called Brian's Back teenage gambler sitting in a rambler listening to the radio. Well, boom, there you are, Mike and Brian back in the driveway. And so those songs represent the Mount Vernon and Fairway, A Fairy Tale, and Mike's Brian's Back. Those two songs are not coincidental. Those pieces of musical work are pure examples of their appreciation for each other regardless of everything that had come to pass. I mean, you've got to figure, by this 1973, a lot of things had come to pass, including the sale of Brian's music, sure, the fact that Mike had not been properly credited on songwriting, and, and you know, the culprit in both of those scenarios is Murray. And more crap happens, and by 78, when Brian's back is recorded, all the guys are up at Santa Barbara. Brian, Carl, Al. I think Dennis was the only one who wasn't, and Bruce wasn't, because um, he wasn't in the band at that time. But Brian, Carl, and Al were. And I don't think Brian sang on Brian's back, but he was up on the, in the compound. Mike had a compound up in Santa Barbara, so they were all up there. And, and you can hear the Beach Boys singing on the song. So it's particularly Carl. So um, Brian's back is not like a song that you can say, isn't it a great song or whatever. It's more about the intent. It's more about the cognitive connection that the two of them made in those early years of their lives and how much to this day. And I, I mean, here we got Brian talking about long promise drought and Carl and, and Mike, if you sat down with him today and talked to him about Brian, he'd get choked up and teary, good or bad, whatever that represents for Mike. Uh, whether it's nostalgia or regret or whatever it is, um, there's there's some serious long-term feelings and, and emotions that accompany those early, early years before they were ever, ever 
Beach Boys or <laughs> Kenny and the Cadets or whatever they want, right. Carl and the Passions or whatever they want to call themselves. Uh, you know, it, it's no mistake that those songs were recorded and developed and put together. Brian's back is Mike's way of saying, you know, I, I need you. I need you. Um, and it was more than I need you as the music leader. It was more than I need you to be the guy who writes the hit songs. I think that was Mike's. I don't think he would say, you know, I love you and, and you know, mean this much to me. But they all have the ability to express through song. Right. And I think that's exactly what that is. Teenage gambler sitting in a rambler listening to the radio and then standing in the grandstand following the game plan watching life's plays unfold you fell in love with the pretty cheerleader i even married one and we once rode a cab out of salt lake city now coming up with fun fun California box set from 2013 had the uh, previously unreleased Why Don't They Let Us Fall in Love, which is a great doo-wop song. Yes, yes. And it's just so Mike and Brian. Oh, one, two, three, four. Don't, don't. 
some fans look back and look at their catalog and get into talking about it, they almost say like that they ended up as a touring jukebox or, or an oldies show. Most people don't understand how that happened. Right. Uh, they were they were trying to be progressive entertainers and went from Sunflower to Surf's Up and were performing that material kind of in earnest with only Cars and Surf medley in their shows. So the big hits that they had were most known for were little condensed segues that they'd shove together and then do these more introspective and, and, and artistic songs and they were... They, Slowly but surely, fewer and fewer people were coming to their shows. And so by 73, 74, they met as a group. And so we need to figure out what to do here because we can't sustain a living unless we're selling out. I mean, we have to sell out because people stop booking us. Right. So it was a real kind of wake-up call. And they voted, and Dennis was put in charge of, uh, and he, he too was in favor. They were all in favor. They all voted in favor to change the course of their careers. How do we do it? And they said, well, why don't we talk to Jim Gershow? So Dennis was, I don't know if the right word is tasked, because Jim Gershow told me this himself. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but so what happened right. was Dennis went up to Caribou and sat with Jim and said, Jim, we're, we're concerned and we need your help. And he said, well, first thing I need to do is come and see you guys perform the show. And he went to a couple shows and he said, okay, well, the first thing you got to do is change what you're doing. You got to play <laughs> your hits. You got to play all your hit songs. And then within a, within a year's time, Endless Summer had come out, the two record set, which went gold. Right. So the next thing you know, they were, they were again back on stage performing the hits, which, which came again through all of them. This was a Carl, Mike, Dennis, Al, and Brian decision. And Dennis agreed he'd go up, talk to Jim Gershow. Jim Gershow came to the shows. And so within a year, you also not just had the success of Endless Summer, you also had the Beach Boys opening for Chicago because Chicago was huge by 75. And when you talk to the members of Chicago, which I have, they will tell you they didn't want to go on after the Beach Boys because right. the Beach Boys were like, Wearing people out, like the stands would be going up and down. We, you know, it was just so raucous and alive, and and people were needing that again. So you went from within a year's time, you went from Mount Vernon and Fairway, wow, <laughs> fairy tale, to the hits again, and it and so it was not a. I, I think nowadays people are so misinformed. They go, oh, because Mike is the one going out there and doing it. He was the one responsible for that change. They were all responsible for that change. And that change filled up seats and, and put them back in the spotlight and made them popular again so they could go on to record other albums. It wasn't rocket science. It was just as simple as how do we put something on stage for the fans that we know is going to be satisfying to them for having spent their hard-earned money to come and see us. We'd like everybody to participate on this by singing along. Are you ready to sing out? Woo! Hey. Elton John, keep your heart out.
And we've talked about this before, but in the early 1970s, there was this kind of nostalgia zeitgeist in the air. You know, it was the hangover from the 60s. People at this point, you know, were getting tired of heavy music and wanted to hearken back to a more innocent time. You you had movies like Grease. And, well, speaking of movies, I mean, uh, American Graffiti kicked the whole thing off. It did. And there's a lot of things you could look at across the across the, the the platform. I think American Graffiti had a tremendous amount to do with it. Um, that spurred Happy Days. That, you know, each thing slowly but surely touched something else that had to do with something else. Sha-na-na was suddenly on TV. Yes, that's right, yeah. You, you know, so doo-wop was coming back. Doo-wop had kind of disappeared because Jan and Dean were a doo-wop duo, and then, this is the great irony of it all, the Beach Boys started forming, and they were like, well, Dennis says, you guys ought to write a song about surfing, and they're listening, the Beach Boys are listening to the radio, and they hear Jan and Dean doing Clementine and Baby Talk and Jenny Lee, and they're going, well, we can do bumps like that, and that's exactly what they did for surfing. I got up this morning, turned on my radio I was checking out the surfing scene to see if I would go And when the DJ tells me that the surfing is fine That's when I know my baby and I will have a good time Going surfing, off, dip, 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 d
dip. Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Surf, surf with me. From the early morning to the middle of the night. Anytime the surf is up, the time is right. And when the surf is down to take its place, we'll do the surfer stomp. It's the latest dance Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Surf, surf with me. Bob, dip, 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 bob, dip, dip. Now the dawn is breaking and we really gotta go. But we'll be back here very soon, that you better know. Yeah, my surfing knots are rising and my board is losing wax. But that won't stop me, baby, cause you know I'm coming back. Going Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Come on, pretty baby, and surf with me, yeah. Released in November 1961, and the song that started it all for the Beach Boys, yeah. Surfing. Thanks, I think, in great part to Dennis, who was this wild, carefree guy who, you know, ran out and got into trouble, drove fast cars, loved the girls. So I think Dennis was kind of more like the brotherly example that Brian probably wished he was. I don't think that's a stretch. And no, so not at all. I'm sure on some levels, Mike probably even at that time in his life, probably even envied Dennis because Mike, I think by that time had married. Yes. <laughs> and Dennis was still sowing his wild oats. Yeah, Dennis was like, it was like the, I mean, he is like the ultimate beach boy. I mean, when you yes. think about those songs and that kind of lifestyle, fun, 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 surfing USA, I mean, you know, Mike's writing lyrics to these songs and Brian's writing the music, but Dennis is actually going out there and doing it. <laughs> you know, and living it. Yeah, that's he's right. living, living it, yeah. Living it. Literally living it. But what, what Dennis knew is Dennis knew that his brother and his cousin were, were, were working on music, so it was an easy thing for Dennis to say to them, you ought to just write a song about surfing. You, 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 you've been down to the beach with me. Because any, you just think about this. It, it's, it's not hard to imagine. If you lived in that era and you went down to the beach, the Pacific Coast, in L.A., or down in Huntington or wherever, and you, and you were there at that time. It must have just been so, you know, you think about the music coming on the radio. Oh, think yeah. Think about what the life would have been like down there. I mean, just, it must have been pulsating with, with an energy that we'll probably never know. And surf culture and, and having a car and having boards in the back of your car so that you could go down. And just that culture that Brian... Thank goodness for Dennis suggesting. Thank goodness for Brian for being that introvert who stayed at home and had noodled on the piano as long as he did to get it. And, and to have those influences of the four freshmen, to, to, to be more concerned with the vocal arrangement aspect, to develop pop music in a way that nobody else was doing. Because that, 
you you could say it's all accidental, but I mean, my God, what came to pass? Yeah. And in today's society, I just, I really want to have this message for new fans of the Beach Boys. People are just discovering the group for the first time. Is these guys, were, what they did when they started out, not a mistake. You know, this, this stuff shaped American music. And just think about that statement. That yeah. statement. They shaped American music. And Brian, as I love this quote from Terry Melcher in the Endless Harmony documentary, Brian changed the industry. But long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. If you should ever leave me, will life will still go on, believe me. This is Al Jardine of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations with David Beard. Thanks, Al. I hope you've enjoyed today's show, episode 36 of Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys program. This was a little unusual, and I'm going to explain why it was formatted the way it is. I'll try to do this quickly. Dave Ghosty Wills has a tremendous show of his own. It's called The Vintage Pop and Rock Shop. Dave and I have uh, done interviews together, for, gosh, I think going on seven or eight years now. And I've appeared on his show multiple times. You can find his show, by the way, if you want to listen to, to Dave. He's just a great interviewer, and he talks way beyond Beach Boys. I mean, the guy is a living, breathing encyclopedia of just about everything you can think of under the sun. 
uh, brilliant guy. Go over, go to YouTube and type in the Vintage Pop and Rock Shop. He's got a lot of his shows up there. You'll be listen to be able to listen to excerpts of some, um, but it's great. It's just a, and, I, and I said I, I've been on there many times, but he, he talks to all sorts of people from all walks of life. You'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised when you go. Also, if you're on Facebook. Type in the Vintage Pop and Rock Shop. You'll be able to find him there. And also, if you're his Facebook friend, then you already know the guy's a living, breathing encyclopedia of everything under the sun. And I'm laughing because it's just true. He's he's he just he's reading books all the time. He's getting into minutia that I've never even dreamt of getting into. So, as much as I'm into the Beach Boys, he's into everything. So, you check him out for sure. I uh, just want to give you a little bit of information about Endless Summer Quarterly, of course. Um, Endless Summer Quarterly magazine just published. We just published uh, issue 130, which is volume 33, number 3, Summer 2020 magazine, which is dedicated to the 50-year anniversary of the group's Sunflower album, which was released August 31st, 1970. So we're coming up on that 50-year mark. The new edition of Endless Summer Quarterly features brand new interviews with Alan Jardine, Mike Love, Brian Wilson, and Bruce Johnston. And it's quite fascinating. I was able to pull together interviews with these guys and have them all a part of the conversation. So the interviews aren't separate when you're reading it. They all are collectively telling the story. So although I interviewed them separately, I combine them together as they go song by song through the album. So I hope you're familiar with the Sunflower album. If you're not, and you pick up the ESQ edition of the Sunflower issue, I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised. There's a lot. It's really considered, I think, by many fans as the group's greatest album, not Brian's greatest Beach Boys album, which is a different conversation for a different time. <laughs> That's usually Pet Sounds. So if you're not familiar with Endless Summer Quarterly, please head over to ESQ quarterly.com that's e-s-q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-y.com from there you'll see all sorts of things tabs at the cross you have a home button you have from the editor you have the news which is kind of our blog page which keeps you up to date about everything going on in the beach boys world uh, in between quarterly magazines and uh, there's how to subscribe there's a magazine subscription button there's a back issues it's called the esq store you click on that it will show you all the magazines we published since august of 93 Whew, we're coming up i think on our 28th anniversary that i've been working on the magazine the ex and, and the magazine began back in 1987 under uh phil mast and rick edgel's uh watchful eyes so uh, thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed this episode please don't forget to check out Endless Summer Quarterly Magazine online. We're also on Facebook, ESQ Mag Editor on Twitter, and also remember to check out the Vintage Pop and Rock Shop. And we're also, oh, ESQ is also on YouTube too. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.